Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. You are now listening to the hottest true crime podcast in the street. Yes, hello, and welcome to a slightly more coronavirus-free version of Affirmative Murder. I am Alvin Williams, joined specially uh, remotely by uh, Mr. Birthday Boy, Francel Evans. If it's your birthday, what make up? some noise. If it's your birthday, make some noise. If it's your birthday, make Fran, some noise. there's a stripper here, but birthday, you can't enjoy it. If it's your birthday, make some noise. 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 Yes. If it's your birthday, make some noise. If it's your birthday, That's right, Fran. How does it feel, man? What, uh, 29? What are we talking? 29, man. The festivities. Talk about them. I will DJ while you speak. Because <laughs> it's lit, friend. Happy birthday, friend. I appreciate it. appreciate the love. appreciate the love. <laughs> I'm, I'm just my. I'm feeling that kind of way. Let it turn up. Damn. <laughs> Are you playing for me or for yourself? I don't know, man. I'm feeling good. You feeling good? It's just it's just a good I'm, weekend, man. I'm feeling good. I, I was I was I thought I thought pork chop was gonna hop on. No, here. never that, oh, man. <laughs> you gotta pay homage sometimes. Uh, but anyway, man, how was your weekend? How was your birthday? What's going on? Uh, it's been a good week, man. Um, it was my birthday is how I wanted. I just wanted to be. Um, I actually went to work on my birthday only because. I got off next week, so I was like, I'm going to go to work, fight it out, get home. I got off pretty early, so I got home and just got some gifts from the family. 
got to spend some time with uh, the kids and my family, most more importantly. Um, but I got a chance to relax. LeBron was on. Yes, they lost, was but bad. I mean, yeah, they lost, but it's all good though. I just, I just wanted, I just wanted to come on, and relax, be with the family. That's all I really wanted to do, man. So yeah. it was great. Well, then you can't beat that, then. Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. Uh, once again, congratulations. God bless you to see another year, man. Uh, yep, thank you, you know, that's always good you know, on my end. Uh, I I can speak confidently that I feel like I fully beat coronavirus. I had some Outback Steakhouse today. Um, okay. You know, so that was pretty and, – and I tasted it as well. That's the most important part. I, I need to okay. say that's the most important part is that I tasted the Outback Steakhouse. I had some yeah. kookaburra wings <laughs> and um, an Outback Steakhouse burger, and I could taste those things. Um, I told myself that when I felt confident that I could taste again – I would celebrate with a meal that's a little more than I've been drinking a lot of like juices and smoothies and yeah. just vegetables. And I went in the kitchen today feeling good. And I had a chip and I was like, oh, okay. I can taste this. It's time. And so I picked up the DoorDash app and I, you know, I put that phone call in, you know, yeah. I put the phone call in the wing stop. Something went wrong. They canceled my order. So I got, I'll they just don't tell you, it just was like, hey, man, we can't fulfill that order that you put in. Here's your money back. What? So Why is I, that? Uh, only God knows. I don't, I don't, I wish I knew. Um, but <laughs> I rallied and I, I got back on the app, hit up Outback Steakhouse, Old Faithful. Outback Steakhouse yeah. will always take your money. And they came right on time, you know, and it was the kookaburra wings, delicious. I could taste the, the, the seasonings and everything like that. So I feel, I feel uh, fully confident that. I'm back to right now. I'm feeling I'm like 98% just cause you, you always going to feel a little off just from being sick. Mm-hmm. So I'm not ready to like go out and like run around the block, but yeah. as far as like doing things around the house and feeling like I can get out of bed, all that stuff's there. I'm just still kind of a little groggy from being sick. But mm-hmm. other than that, I'm back to normal. We started the process of cleaning the house today, so the listeners will be happy to know Fran will be back in studio next week. We'll have the house all disinfected and ready for Fran to make his reentry. Everybody will be done being sick by next week, and the show can continue as per usual. Good. Uh, with Good that, yes. With that being said, Fran, I don't know if you know what's going on, but I, I, I'm. I, if you don't, I respect it, but. There's, I've been hearing these chants of save USPS and these concerns of delays because they're talking about yeah uh, uh, doing mail-in voting. What does that mean, Fran? What What are you asking? What is save What is save the USPS? What What is what's going on? Uh, well, um, just based now and like when my dad was in the post office, my dad used to work in the post office as well. Um, the mail is much lighter than what it was 10, 15 years ago. Like people aren't um, using the post office. It's just, uh, it's just not, as, it's just not as much letter mail coming through us anymore. Cause you know, you got email when email came along, mm. that, that was, that was, that was bound to happen. Um, you still got advertisement, which you see most of the time, it's just advertisement really. Right. Um, but you see the mail, the mail volume has went down over the years and the package volume has went up. So we deliver more packages than we are doing mail. So, and with right now is people with the whole, this global pandemic going on, which affects everything. It's not just like, it's not, I feel like some people just see it as, as like, oh, it's affecting these couple things, but right. this thing is affecting everything. You know, it's affecting us as well as like 
now is like I think the cases of Maryland went up. Yes. So the cases in Maryland went up. The the, the cases in Baltimore County has went up as well. So we already had we didn't have like two cases at our station. Yeah, so now okay. it's like yeah. So it's like we got people that's like not we got people that's being sick. Then you got people that's not coming to work because they just don't just being cautious. Right. And so now and now we just we don't have enough people. So what's going on now, which is which is odd, is some of the routes are not even going out now. Some routes are not even hitting the street. Like, because oh, wow. we don't have enough people. Yeah, we don't have enough people. So routes that aren't going out one day are going out the next day. So now you now you carrying, or when we get overtime, we carrying two days worth of mail in one day. Wow. So you got people. Yeah. So you got people out there like up. This is the fourth day in the road, not getting no mail. I'm like, look, I, if, if y'all want y'all mail, y'all can come. Y'all can come. To, y'all can more than happy. You know. Yeah. It's, I would it's love trying, to come it's trying times right now. That's <laughs> all. Right. Hands, so like, people got to understand. That's what I'm saying. Like, it's, this is affecting this is affecting us as well. Like, we don't have so there's a shortage of letter carriers as well, being able to go yeah. out and hit all these routes. Right, exactly. So you know, some people not getting their mail. It's just it's, and then the mail is light. But what I think, what I think is happening, I talked to a coworker of mine. I think what they doing down the plant is they holding off mail because we don't have enough people to get all this mail out. Got it. So I think they, I think they holding off on mail instead of flooding the stations so, and there's mail all yeah, over the place, all and, over the place. So like just, just so we can keep our head above water, you know, through everything that's going on. So that's that's basically what's going on right now. I mean, it's 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 pretty rough. Um, it's just it's just it's crazy right now. It's, and people don't really don't understand. They just want they just want their shit. Whatever they order, they just want it now. I totally understand, but it's just. You gotta have With some understanding. Cons- it's, yeah, the, the, exactly. everything's crazy right now. Exactly. Yeah. Under these circumstances, that's just what it is right now. So, how do you feel th- your rep, your your organization, the USPS? How do you think that they would fare if they were responsible for mail-in voting this year? I mean, they're gonna. You guys are gonna be responsible. You, there are people that vote locally by mail yeah. and things like that. But if there was a volume of 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 mail-in ballots that you guys became responsible for do you think that the times are uh pretty crazy right now that and that would be uh, a a big task i think i think we can handle it but i it's just it's just not it's not going to be on time like it's, right it's, so it's pe- people not, should do get get it done early they should get it done early because I, I i remember that i, I knew someone went out before like a month ago or something maybe, maybe that was a different voting or whatever but um but I feel like we can handle it, but it's just it's gonna it's not gonna be easy. It's not gonna be easy to test at all, only because we short on staff. And then right now, you can't they can't just go out and hire people because you don't know what people got. So you just got can't it, yeah. go out and hire people and then bring people in, and then they may be sick. And then that's just it's just a, ch- a chain reaction. So they just like we gotta we can't hold we can't go out and hire a bunch of people right now because it just wouldn't be smart to bring these new people in. You can't fully vet them and know because you can't exactly. make everybody in the branch sick. Exactly. Yep. Got yep. It. But I think I think we could do it. I just it's not gonna be easy task at all. But I feel like this is the this is the only way we will be able to get it done unless they do some type of electronic, which I think could be like hacked and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, that's you already yeah. you you already had somebody that was taking the ballots and then changing them or whatever, making them repul- whatever that whatever yeah yeah I heard, was, uh, yeah I heard about so that yeah yeah it's it's always gonna be some type of some tampering always possible do. yeah 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 so. But yep. I, 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 okay. So what I, my, the the message I feel like we're delivering to the people is, if you are able to mail and vote, get it done as early as possible. Yeah. So that you, 
has not your mail your vote has an opportunity to go through the system properly and handle whatever slip ups or any kind of just human error that's possible to happen along the way. Yeah. Give your give your vote enough time to go through all that to get to its destination. You shouldn't be out trying to uh mail in vote the day before the election because right. your, your vote's probably probably not going to count because it's, it's just yeah. not enough time right okay cool i'm glad yep. I cl- glad to clear that up because i really didn't understand what the concern was as far as mail-in voting and people really think like people were really ta- are really talking about like um the 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 post office being this battleground for this for these mail-in votes because save the USPS or whatever, you know? So I, I didn't even think about how this could whole pandemic is affecting the U S postal service and how, you know, just the changes in the times. Yeah. Could it be affecting finances at the post office or whatever? I didn't even think about the, the email thing because I've never yeah. sent, I don't send letter letters ever. So it's always a package right. that I'm sending. <laughs> I didn't even think about that being like, at a point that was probably a massive revenue stream for the post office. Yeah. And then for sure. And then yeah. it just stopped cold Turkey because the emails were just like, Oh, we can just press a button now. So that's done now. We don't send letters anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So, but you know, people still, people still send cards and birthdays. Right. Postcards. It's and just, yeah. But you know, like my dad says, like the mail is not what it used to be. The mail, I started, I started what? In 2014. So that was what? Six years ago. Mm-hmm. And and the mail was lighter since then, and that was only six years ago. That wasn't that you know that long ago, but wow. the mail was heavier when I first started. Now it's like super light. Like it's 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 crazy. But yeah, the email was like that was you know that that hurt revenue going yeah. to the post office because people were like, well, I don't have some letters anymore. I can just type an email. Right. Wow. Well, it's very informed. I feel I feel I feel informed. I feel like we did the listeners a service. Um, yeah. Before we move on to you know the show as usual, I wanted to give a big thank you and a shout out to anybody that sent me well wishes and positive vibrations during the course of this whole thing. It really meant a lot to be able to just read that somebody's you know got you in their prayers and is thinking about you and hoping that you feel better. That helped more than anybody could really even know or understand. Uh, positive vibes go a long way. We believe that here at this podcast, obviously. And uh, uh, I got a lot of them, and I appreciate it very much. And as I've stated minutes ago, I am on the upswing. I'm feeling great. I can taste. I got a message, uh, or somebody posted on Facebook, concerned that I, that might that might not come back as some ever. And at a point, I I had that thought That's too. That's scary. Yeah, at a point, I had that thought too. You know, like a week ago, I was like, "What if this just fries your?" taste buds and then I just can't taste food anymore. I will look great because I really don't un- couldn't see the purpose of eating delicious food if I can't taste it. So I would just right. eat smoothies and, you know, unseasoned food. I'd be in great shape. I would look fabulous. But my taste buds have come back and junk food will be back as well this week. I will be <laughs> I will be going out and and going to town and getting my favorite treats and all of that healthy bullshit, eating carrots raw, it's done. It is it is yeah. over with. It was it was it was it was what it was while it lasted. Junk food yeah. junk food bike. Okay. So with having the virus and and not having it anymore. So are you immune to it now or can you catch it again? Is that is that um, how that works? From what I understand, I, I I've built up antibodies fighting, which will 
make it harder for me to like go back on back to back on the virus like drake like uh-huh. i don't think like it'll be hard if it would be a really big surprise if i got sick again like next week i don't think i'm immune to the virus anymore i don't think that's what that means but my body is more equipped to fight it off than somebody who hasn't had it so i mean if somebody wanted to they can just go out and just be trifling and dirty and just go out and not wash their hands and stuff like that i wouldn't recommend any of those <laughs> things no, I wouldn't recommend any of those things. I like, just whoop, think, already had it. Oh well, yeah, no. <laughs> I just, lick their hands. And start kind no, of I just think like, however, I got it this time. I fight it off a little better this time around. Yeah. I e okay. I think I'd be less likely to get it playing basketball. You know, if we play basketball this week, which I'm not. But if we yeah. did, I'd be less likely to get it than you, who still haven't gotten it. Yeah, but well, how you I know I haven't gotten it? You don't know that. Um, I guess I don't. Are you? Would <laughs> you like to make an announcement? Or I'm just saying I could have it, but don't have any symptoms. Is that's what I'm saying? Like I don't, I don't know if I had it or not. I hope no, not. It's been two weeks, man. You don't have it now for sure. I mean, if you had it and were asymptomatic, I I can't tell you that. But if you got it from when we got it, then you don't have it anymore. It's been like 14 yeah. days. Um, <laughs> yeah. But what I will say is there's been no phone calls about playing basketball. Which is a little so, suspect. So somebody got sick for sure. I don't, somebody yeah. else. Well, somebody was sick because I wasn't sick. And, yeah. you know, so somebody who makes those phone calls or something got notified that or got some symptoms. And so basketball quietly is just done with no announcement yeah. or anything like that. It's just no, just, we're just going to all not talk about it and not play that's what oh that's, yeah that's what just happened i'm not surprised but, yeah. <laughs> but anyway um what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a quick break and when we come back we're gonna talk about some fucked up shit so stick around welcome back guys all right i'm first this week um my affirmative murder this week is the killing of latasha harlan have you heard of latasha harlan latasha yeah harlan Harlan, yeah. No, I've never heard of her. Okay, well, I'm sure after I get finished getting through the story, maybe in the middle of the story you'll know who I'm talking about or if you've heard the story or just around uh, what the story is connected to. Okay. Um, well, let me take back what I'm I said. Sure. Then I'm, I don't believe just off hearing the name that I know this story. Okay. Yeah, okay. So, And I'm sure some of the listeners um, may have heard this story before. So here we go. So Latasha Harlan was born July 14, 1975, in East St. Louis, Illinois, to Crystal Harlan and Sylvester Acoff Sr. Um, his nickname was, they called him Vester, so I'll, I'll just say Vester from here and there. Vester. Yep. Latasha had a younger brother named Vester Acoff Jr. Well, I'm not going to use that name because I don't want to get those people yeah. confused. <laughs> you call him uh, VJ. I'll just call him, yeah, I'll just, I'll just say her dad. I'm her dad, okay. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah, so she had a younger brother named Vester, and she had a younger sister named Christina. The family moved from Illinois to South Central Los Angeles in 1981. Mm. When Natasha was six years old, her father took a job in a steel, fact, steel foundry while her mother worked as a waitress in the local tavern. They lived near 89th Street and Broadway. So, uh, Acoff Sr. was known to be abusive towards Crystal Harlan, who, which is her mom, mm-hmm. attacking her in front of Latasha and her siblings. Their unstable marriage eventually ended in 1983. 
On November 27, 1985, Crystal was brutally shot dead outside a Los Angeles nightclub oh, wow. by Cora, Cora Mae Anderson. And again, Crystal is the mom of yeah. Latasha. Of Latasha. Um, so yeah, so she was shot outside a Los Angeles nightclub by Cora Mae Anderson, who was Akov's new girlfriend, mm. so, which is Latasha's uh, dad, dad's new girlfriend. Leaving Natasha and her siblings in the care of their maternal grandmother, Ruth Harlan, the death of her mother had a devastating impact on Latasha, who began to rebel and argue with her grandmother and her aunt, uh, Denise. The relationship worsened further when Latasha, then 14, was groomed by a counselor at the local recreational center um, named Jerry Foster, who was between 29 and 32 years old. Mm. Um, and Latasha, she attended uh, Westchester High School. I'm guessing that's in the, the Los um, Angeles area. Um, so soon, um, Jadu's store, the Empire Liquor, located on the intersection of the ni- of 91st Street and Figu- was it Figueroa or was it Figueroa? Figueroa. Figueroa. Okay, that's right. Figueroa Avenue in Vermont Vista, Los Angeles, was normally staffed by Dew's husband and son. However, on the morning um, of the shooting, Dew was working behind the counter and her husband was outside resting in the family van. Shortly before 10 a.m., 10 a.m. on Saturday, March 16th, Harlan's entered the store. Dew observed Harlan's putting a dollar and 97, 97 cent bottle of orange juice in her backpack. Mm, Dew concluded, okay, do you know the story. story? Yeah, I know the story. Okay. Dew concluded Harlan's was attempting to steal and did not see the money Harlan's held in her hand. Do claimed to have asked Harlan if she was if she intended to pay for the orange juice, to which Do claimed Harlan's responded, "What orange juice?" To eyewitnesses, two eyewitnesses disputed that claim, saying that Do called Harlan's a bitch and accused of her trying to steal. Mm. To which they claimed Harlan's repi- replied that she intended to pay for the orange juice. After speaking with the two eyewitnesses present, um, and viewing the videotape, which I saw the videotape. Uh, super sad. I don't know if you saw the inter- videotape. It happened to be on, I think I might have saw a Facebook recently. That's how I looked into the story. Yeah, it's, um, um, I, I believe there's footage of the video in yeah. the documentary LA 92. I, I believe. Okay. Is, I believe. Okay. Yeah, I saw uh, somebody uploaded that video. It was, it was on some post um, that I saw it. It was just it, very tragic. Um, uh, so after speaking with the two eyewitnesses present and viewing um, of the, the videotape of the incident recorded by a store security camera, the police concluded that Harlan is intended to pay for the beverage with the money in hand. The videotape showed that Dew grabbed Harlan by her sweater and snatched her backpack. Harlan then struck Dew with her, first, with her fist twice, knocking Dew to the ground. After Harlan backed away, Dew threw a stool at her. Harlan then picked up the orange juice bottle then dropped, then dropped during the scuffle. Dew snatched the bottle from her, and Harlan's turned to leave. Dew reached under the counter, retrieving a revolver, and fired at Harlan from, um, from behind the counter at a distance of about three feet. Mm. The gunshot struck Harlan in the back of the head, killing her instantly. Dew's husband, Billy Hoon Kidu, uh, heard the gunshot and rushed into the store. After speaking to his wife, who asked of the whereabouts of Harlan's before fainting, he dialed 911 to report and attempt to hold up. Attempted hold up. Mm. Yeah. So um, with the video, the videotape that I saw, 
Um, it's just it's just like what I just read. They was fighting over it. They said when they when the authorities got there, she had the money in her hand. Right. Um, I don't know. It, it was different testimonies about um what was said her what was said and if the juice was in her backpack and this and that and and but um in the story come about I'm, i mean i'm end up getting to it anyway but they came up there she you know she tried to use self-defense which the girl was walking away if you see the video they they had a scuffle and latasha harlan was walking away right and she shot her in the back of the head mm. um so and just and with that you know me thinking about the story and then you know, in the video, the what's the movies? Um, Don't you use South Central? You know, whatever. I can't that long ass title. I'm not gonna say the whole the thing. The funny one, um, or the the actual both both of them. But oh. it's like that that famous um some type of Asian ethnicity person owning a corner store. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's just. I mean, this is how it is now. Like, yeah, yes, no, that's that's just the, the reality. I mean, that is, yeah, that's art imitating reality. That is right. Just kind of the way it is. You know, like a lot of um people from other countries and other cultures opening businesses in inner city black neighborhoods and there being a lot yeah. of contention and them right. not try and and not to say that it's justified or not justified because if everybody who comes into your store that steals in your store is black because you live in a black neighborhood, then you're gonna come up with racist practices where you know yeah. we we follow black people around the store because all most of the people that come in here and steal are black people you know and right whether that's right or wrong i can't really speak to i don't own a business but you know um if you kill somebody that's wrong period i don't you know that's you know that's not really up for debate so right but yeah no that is very that is very, a very common situation where people feel like oh you have moved into our neighborhood and you take our money but you don't trust us or respect right, us exactly you know. yeah it's been yep. a fight for a long time right um so do testified on her own behalf claiming that that the shooting was in self-defense and that she believed her life was in danger but her testimony was contradicted by the statements of the two the two witnesses present at the time as well as the store security camera video, which showed Dew shooting Harlan in the back of the head mm-hmm. as a teenager turned away from Dew and attempted to leave the store. The Los Angeles Police Department ballistics report also found that the handgun Dew used, which was the revolver, was altered in such a way that it required much less pressure on the trigger to fire than the ordinary handgun, mm. which is to, yeah, so which is just to get a, a, get a, a quicker, quicker shot off, you know, yeah. a quicker shot off. Um, but it was just um, for you to shoot that young lady in the head as she was walking away. They what? This wasn't in the middle of a scuffle. I'm not gonna say and say if it wasn't middle of a scuffle that I understand, but it's like you'd have more. You'd have more of a self defense claim if you shot exactly. her. In, you shot her in her stomach because she was on top a, of you or something. Yeah, like or that. like yeah. or her, her like her leg or her buttocks or, or the arm or something. You aim dead in the back of her neck or her head as she was walking away. Well, this is the part about guns that people don't like to talk about when they're doing the whole like if everybody had a gun then the world would be safer because you know we could stop robbers and all this kind of stuff when you got the hammer on you you're likely to pull it out you know it just you yeah. just feel if she she pulled that gun out from there because she had this scuffle and this back and forth with this girl she called her a bitch whatever da, 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 and it escalated to a point where it was like oh, okay now i'm gonna pull my gun out on you 
you know, yeah. because I have a gun. That that is yeah. She lost a fight. If the you know if, if if witnesses and camera footage is saying it looked like she was about to walk out of the store, and right. you shot her over a dollar juice, you know, it's like no, you shot her because you lost a fight, or you got in yep. a fight and you the you didn't want it to be over with. You still had your mad energy, and so yeah, you, you humiliated. Yeah, yeah. So you pulled out the advantage that you had. That's just kind of what it is, you know. Yeah, that's and what she, and having a like- gun does, you know. Yeah, it's not like she was walking out with the juice. They fought over the juice. She didn't have the juice anymore. But also, which this also brings up in the story that, you know, uh, I, I'm guessing it was previous robberies before Latasha or whatever, just, you know, just saying that she was trying to rob the store. But I'm guessing that some past robberies happened. And, and I guess at some point she went like, okay, I'm this, this that ain't going, this is not going to happen. Well, that's exactly what happened. I mean, yeah. you know, this, yeah. her feeling on, now, whatever happened with the gun, as far as the trigger thing, I'm not. I don't know if that was done because of wanting to be able to shoot people quicker or whatever. But there's a gun in that store to stop robberies, and yeah. there's a tension in that store with the people who own the store because there have been people stealing yeah. things and you know whatever. This is something that occurs there, so now she's on edge and she sees somebody with the juice looking like they aren't paying or whatever the case may be. So she felt like not today. I'm not allowing that to happen in my store today. And it escalated to a situation where a girl got shot in the back of the head. Yeah. Okay. So November 15th, 1991, a jury found Dew's decision to fire the handgun was fully within her control and that she fired the hang the gun voluntarily. The jury found Dew guilty of voluntary manslaughter, um, an offense that carried a maximum prison sentence of 16 years. The jury recommended the maximum sentence for Dew. However, the trial the trial judge Joyce Carlin did not accept the jury's sentencing recommendation and instead sentenced Dew to five years of probation. Wow! Right, five years probation, 400 hours of community service, and a $500 fine. Lousy $500 fine. Um, which is crazy for somebody to overturn that, which is, is, is wild to me. Um, well, it's a lot of, that's, that is, um, a lot of times you see these judges using this, their discretion when they want to, right? So like, yeah, they can see their son and a kid in some kids, but not all kids. They can see the humanity in some people, but not other people. So, this judge on this day saw this, you know, Asian woman who worked at a store and just, you know, made a mistake and she didn't really mean to what whatever logic they that judge used to step in and be able to, you know, overturn yeah. that jury's decision, he used his own personal experience to uh humanize that woman and yeah. and and overturn with what I already think, even 16 years for shooting somebody in the back of the head is you got off pretty good. Right. And then so for the judge to be like, no, she shouldn't do any time at all in a jail. So I'm not allowing that is, you know, I don't know. It, it, that doesn't happen for everybody. Everybody doesn't get to be like, oh, this kid's only 17. Like he's got his whole life ahead of everybody doesn't get that little humanization token from the judge. Yeah, or or what I hate to hear is uh they go um this person wouldn't wouldn't do the same thing again 
under some type of different circumstances or something like that. Like yeah. if this wouldn't happen, that they wouldn't they wouldn't do this any other way. Like what? Like what do you? Yeah. She pulled that gun out and shot that girl in the back of the head. And she was walking away. So it was yeah. like she was defenseless. So it was like what? Like what are we talking about? Um. So Judge Carlin. So and actually that Joyce Joyce Carlin she took a lot of heat took a lot of heat for for that um overturned decision. Judge Carlin suggested that there were mitigating circumstances in Harlan's death. She stated, did Miss Do um, react inappropriately? Absolutely. But but was that reaction understand, understandable? I think that it was. Um, she said, I think that it was. Um, this is not the first time, this is not a time for revenge. And no matter what sentence this court imposes, Miss Do will be punished every day for the rest of her life. How? Living freely? I don't yeah, it's, it's funny how sometimes that's enough for a judge, which is like they have to live with the this, with the consequences of what they did. That's punishment enough. But yeah. we got people sitting in jail right now doing double digit numbers for selling weed. And there's yeah. people in California and in Colorado and in Seattle doing weed Uber and I mean, it makes me sick when I see these videos of these like college white kids picking up pounds of weed in their little stores. We're like, man, yeah, so many dank nuggets. Uh, we're probably going to sell like 20 ounces today. And there's people sitting in prison for the next 10 to 15, 20 years for selling weed, which is now legal. And people are making millions of dollars to to sell it. And those same people who who are in jail for selling weed when they get out can never sell weed they can never participate in the legal weed trade and they might have a knowledge that somebody else doesn't have because they spent years doing it when it wasn't legal and now they can't take that knowledge that they have that skill that they may have and implement it legally because they are not allowed to sell drugs in the legal system so um yeah it's a lot of just fucked up rules and it's just you know the world's crazy yeah uh so the court also stated that dude shot Hollins under extreme duress and deemed it unlikely that dude would ever commit a serious crime again that's such a that's such a broad statement to make that's kinda, right yeah. <laughs> uh furthermore Carlin like, will she still dude... be working at the con- at this corner store i mean this exact thing could happen again it happened I... exactly like I, I I don't understand that. Um, so furthermore, Carlin deemed Dew's capacity to act rationally in the in the situation was undermined by her experience with past robberies. All um, of these things will still be true if somebody came in and tried to steal a juice tomorrow. Yes, obviously, um, I think exactly. we both know there's no t- tomorrow because we know what happens. But if there oh, was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. if there was, all of these things would still be in play. She would still have whatever kind of trauma from experiencing other rob like it would all be this it's all the same scenario if somebody comes in there after they let her out and somebody comes in and steals or she yeah. thinks they steal it's it's all all of those same things will still be in place that gun's still going to be behind the counter and those feelings will still be there so i don't know how you can just say yeah she'll never do this again i i i promise judges on yeah. again like and then in the beginning of the story which was weird, like one of those things where it's just like that that day just happened to be different. Like everything you go through, everything's the same, but just one thing changes, and that changes the whole outcome of the day or whatever happens. Yeah. Like she doesn't usually work behind the counter; her husband does. 
Right, but her husband's in like in the van her taking husband, a nap. Her husband taking a nap, and she was taking over whatever his shit, whatever we want to call it. And and if it was how it is regularly, this might not have happened. And that's that stuff, stuff like that. It, it sits on me for a while. Uh, so a state appeals court later unanimously upheld Judge Carlin's sentencing decision three to three three to zero. On April 21st, 1992, about a week before the L.A. riots, mm-hmm. in July 1992, the Harlins family was awarded $300,000 in settlement. Um, the incident and reduced sentencing by the court exacerbated the existing tension between African-American residents and the Asian-American merchants in South Central Los Angeles. Those tensions were later interpreted by some member some members of the public and activists as being one of the catalysts for the 1992 Los Angeles riots. The Los Angeles mayor office estimated that 65% of all businesses vandalized during the riots were Korean-owned. On August 17, 1991, while Dew was awaiting trial, a small fire occurred at her store. During the 1992 riots, Dew's store was looted and burned down, and it never reopened. It never reopened. The property later became a, a market. Um, under different ownership, Natasha Harlins is buried uh, next to her mother in the Paradise Memorial Park in Santa Fe Springs, California. So hip-hop artist Tupac Shakur took particular note of Harlins' death in the 1993 release um, song entitled Keep Your Head Up. I'm sure everybody knows what that song is. Yes. Um, if you don't, um, I don't know what else to tell you. Uh, which was dedicated to Latasha Harlins. Thereafter, Shakur, Shakur made Frequent mentions of Harlins in his songs, including in tracks like Something to Die For, which is the interlude. Um, he mentioned Latasha Harlins in like six different songs, maybe more than that. Yeah. Uh, since him by being in that area and then about the stuff, we, we both know what type of stuff he rapped about. Yeah. Before, you know, way, way down ahead of line that he, you know, he could call, which which made him such a good rapper, people may say. Um that he mentioned her about, you know, her, her being killed over a juice is nothing to die for. is one of the lines he said. Well, she her story is just such a, you know, it's the same thing with the George Floyd, George Floyd story. I mean, no matter yeah. what has, you know, you come to learn about George Floyd's past or whatever, we all who grew up in neighborhoods like that have a cousin or an uncle or, uh, you know, or whoever who reminds us of George Floyd, just, just a person who might have a troubled past, but like, it's still a person who can come to the cookout, get a plate. It's funny. Yeah. You know, they you know, they love their family and all these kind of things. And you see this incident happen and you see, you see a member of your family in that person. And Latasha's the same way. Just some girl going to a corner store to get a juice. We any any of us could have been that girl. I've right, gone exactly. to I've gone to the corner store as a kid for my grandmother countless times, you know, to get things. Yep. And you know, I you know there's never been an incident where I was mixed up to have been stealing. But it could you know it could be the wrong person there one day, and maybe the my hands are full, so I put the juice in my pocket and whatever. And then next, boom, 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 and next thing you know, I'm getting accused of stealing. It could be that fast. Is that interactions can go sideways so easily? So so easy to see. When you come from those kind of environments, so e- when a story like this happens, so it's so easy to see that person as a person who you could have known, yeah, or that you even do know. Like it's like I don't know her, but I know a Latasha, yeah, you know. So that's why it's so easy to to make it resonate. And Tupac can go, oh, I'll put this in a song because like 
it's she's she's such a relatable story. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And I I've been on the end of stealing from a corner store before, and you being you know you being young you don't you don't at that age you don't think about stuff like this or what the consequences and the outcome of those actions could be yes. until they actually happen. Um, and I think I told you about the store I tried to steal some gum from before. Yeah. Um, as a kid, and that was and I don't know if you remember that corner store. That's the corner store over where. Uh, your family live and my family live. I don't remember the name yeah, of it. I know what you're talking about. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, it was yeah. that corner store. Yeah. <laughs> Which yeah. is wild. Uh, right there up on the so, hill. Yep, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, rapper Ice Cube composed a song about the incident for his album Death Certificate entitled Black Korea. Gabrielle Kahane, maybe I don't, maybe some people may know who that artist is, composed a song about the incident entitled Empire Liquor Mart. Steph Cha's no- novel Your House Will Pay Centers on the aftermath um, of the murder of a 16-year-old African-American girl in South Central Los Angeles. It is a fictionalized account of Latasha Harlan's death and the effects on both her family and the family of the shooter. Um, Sapphire, um, I'm guessing it's, a, it's an author, in her book, American Dream, wrote the poem Strange Juice, you know, which was about the murder of Latasha Harlan's giving voice to the murdered girl. Mm. Um, so Carlin's, Joyce Collins, who was that judge, ruling in the case prompt District Attorney Ira Rayner to instruct his deputies to effectively bar Judge um, Carlin from trying cases by evoking a statute to remove a judge for any reason. And justifying his directive, he said, this was such a stunning miscarriage of justice that Judge Carlin cannot continue to hear criminal cases with any public credibility. Mm. Carlin became the target of protests and an unsuccessful recall campaign. Dennis Harlan's, Latasha Harlan's aunt, I mean Denise, let protesters outside Carlin's home um, and the Compton Courthouse. Protesters noted that a week after Latasha Harlan's death, a Glendale man received more severe sentence than due for kicking a dog. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. so after Los Angeles Times endorsed one of her opponents in her re-election campaign, she wrote a letter to the newspaper saying, if judges have to look over their shoulders as they decide a case, if they have to test the political wins in order to arrive in order to arrive at a politically correct verdict, then the judicial system and the freedoms of guarantees will be destroyed. So the Harlan's family held vigils outside the due residence every year on the anniversary of her sentence. It's funny how it's funny how um, what links people will go to 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 say anything other than like my I bad my bad I fucked up. You were wrong, yeah, exactly. You know what I mean? C- to to make it out to be it's the same thing. I've heard so many crazy um, analogies with this whole red, changing the Redskins team name, where it's like, um, I mean, if people are gonna be if I understand, they're like, oh, okay, I understand. Yes, I understand the Redskins is wrong. But where does it stop now? If we're going to just start changing football teams, like what are we going to change now? The Ravens? Cause like, it's a, maybe it's a bird that people, it's like, come on, man. Like don't, don't trivialize this as if it's not a fucking, a face of a person and we're calling it the Redskins. Don't yeah. make it out. Like people are being irrational and crazy. And now the PC police are run amok and they're going to go around changing everything. It's like, come, it's, it's, it's the Redskins, man. You know, and so for this lady to be like, if judges are going to have to look over their shoulders whenever they make a judgment, it's like, bro, you a girl, a lady shot a girl in the back of the head 
and you gave her community service. Yeah. Why why are you acting like, oh, so now whenever there's a murder case, the judge will be scared to give their it's like no. I, I mean, yeah, if they're gonna say, Oh, you you murdered somebody, uh, you have to go, you know, pick up trash on the side of the road. Yeah, they should have to look over their shoulders then if that's the judgments that they're giving. Like I can't believe that that she said that. Like, yeah, you know, I guess you got to say what you got to say to try to defend yourself, but you also could just come out and say, you know, I, I messed up. I I tried to have some leniency for the person and it came off wrong or whatever, you know. Right. But instead of doing that, it's like, oh, you play like a victim. You know, you go, oh man, well, how can anybody do their job under these circumstances? I mean, if people are going to be looking over your shoulder and. You have to think politically when you're doing your job. Nobody will ever get their job done. I bet you people went on back. Judges went back on to doing their job after this. You know, after, yeah. You know, so her whole stupid speech is like, what's the point of that? Like the justice system goes on and people continue to do their job. So you just fucked up and did your job poorly. Don't make it out like the world is now fucking it up being a judge now. <laughs> right. Just do your fucking job correctly. And then you wouldn't have this problem. You're not yeah. trying to, you're trying to, you can't. I feel like you can't make a ruling or a judgment. You based on your personal beliefs on like, oh, I see that person in somebody else, or you compare this person and like, oh, you know, this person deserves uh, a second chance, but only do it for some people. Yeah, it's like come on now. And also, this ki- this isn't the case, right? Do this for the kid who is a uh, on the swim team and he's a good kid, but he stole some gum. Do this for the little girl who, you know, she got she 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 fought her teacher, but you know she's got a lot going on at home, and you're looking at that outside of just giving her a judgment. Somebody shooting somebody in the back of the head doesn't need you to like jump through all these hoops and oh she'll never commit a crime again. I I can tell by her record, and this was just all these different circumstances. You don't need to do all that, right? She shot her in the back of the head manslaughter is is nice enough let's just go with that instead of you being like no nah, i'm not gonna do any no time no jail time zero no years and um probation and um community service is what i think is the best recourse like what that's crazy yeah <sighs> um but yeah i totally agree on everything you said it's just it's just fucked up and that's just how things are, and that's how this played out. Um, so Denise Harlan's inter- interrupted an award ceremony at Bilt at Biltmore Hotel for Due Defense Attorney Charles Lloyd. Carla and Due's son also attended the ceremony. All you people are sitting. This is what Denise Harlan said. I'm guessing she like yelled this out during right um, while during they're the having a, they're having champagne and smiling and shit. Yeah, mm-hmm. all you people sitting and applauding over a child killer. Harlan's yell. Natasha was defenseless. She didn't do anything. Carlin was reelected to the Superior Court bench. She then moved to Juvenile Dependency Court, um, a transfer she had requested before the due case. I have been honored to spend the last 20 years serving the public, but now I want to devote time to my family, Carlin wrote. Carlin resigned from the bench in 1997. Upon hearing of, of retirement, Harlan's aunt Denise stated, I'm glad to hear that she's removed herself from the bench and that she's retired, but she didn't belong on the bench anyway. Mm. Sass. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was the aunt um, who spoke up a lot um, after the killing of her niece 
and she knew she knew that you know they fucked up with that. She that lady should have been doing jail time for manslaughter at at the at the least. At the least, for um, sure. But rest in peace, Latasha Harlins. Uh, very big story, which you know has something to do with sparking the LA riots. Yeah. Um, but they burned that shit down and looted that shit, and that was the end of that. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if they're still alive now as far as the, the dude family. I mean, I really don't care, but I just want to know how they're living their life. And I mean, I would assume they're still alive. And yeah. in a time at times like this, which happens, you know, people act like 2020 is this crazy time. But um, this shit happens like every every five to ten years. There's a civil resurgence. Yeah. Um, we saw it happen when Freddie Gray got killed. Um. I'm sure LA has seen it multiple times. Florida went through a similar thing when Trayvon Martin got killed. Um, there, there have been catalysts for, you know, uh, protest and uh, riots and all these types of things. So whenever there's things like this that happen, this case gets brought back up. Their names get yeah. brought back up. So they become, you know, they probably get some news trucks outside of their house for a couple weeks, you know, to re-interview them on the anniversary of whatever and all this kind of stuff. Or they are laying super low, you know, which I imagine yeah. is possible. You know, I mean, they, I would imagine they are either, you know, they were either first generation or second generation immigrants at the time. So it's probably pretty easy for um, them to lay low, get low, you know, and just yeah. kind of go within their community. You know, because there's a lot of, you know, Korean. I'm not sure what they what their ethnicity was, but Korean or Chinese or whatever their um, ethnicity is, they have communities with that they can lean on and go within and disappear within and not have to deal with like mainstream America and news yeah. things and all this kind of stuff. Because this LA 92 documentary came out within the last five years, and I'm sure when that came out, they, their phone was ringing off the hook. If they if they, if they they are, you know, registered and all that kind of stuff. So whenever stuff like this happens, I'm sure they get hit up for interviews and, and, and you know, harassed, for lack of a better term. Yeah. But, I mean, it is what it, I don't, you know, it is what it is. I don't really, I don't know if I can say I have sympathy. I mean, yeah, I mean this is something that well, happened in American history, and whenever it comes up, you're going to get, approach that's just kind of your your yeah. name and your legacy is attached to burning down los angeles so yeah well we ain't forget i bring your ass up i brought that name up so we, their name has been mentioned the story has been brought back up on this podcast yeah um it, that story would never die i just that's fucked up uh, what they did to that girl yes um over over a dollar and 79 dollar 79 cent dollar juice like that's come on now yeah, man, it's a big, major tragedy, and um, again, you know, one thing I'll say about how the way black communities, inner city black communities are ghettoized in America is like, I've been, I've been to a few states and, and cities across this country, and no matter what, like, the hood looks the same, and that's not a yeah. coincidence, you know what I mean? Like, that's, that's so crazy to me, you know, like, LA has these palm trees, and and, and these, these these bodies of water and all this beautiful stuff and 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 Las Vegas has all these neon lights and and, and you know the city that's up all all day long and New York is New York and skyscrapers and all this kind of stuff and it's like you, when you go to certain neighborhoods in in all of these cities 
It's liquor store, gun store, the buildings look a certain kind of way. The people carry themselves a certain kind of way. It is, it's like, it's like they've been programmed. Yeah. You know, and it's, it always is so weird to me how that was able to be pulled off. You know, it's like, no, it's kind of like this invisible, like barrier that goes, yeah, this is to keep you guys here. Exactly. And away from here. Exactly. Exactly. And that's from East coast to West coast in the middle. It's just, it's like, this is how a poor black neighborhood looks. Yeah. You know how the suburbs look a certain kind of way. The suburbs are kind of cookie cutter. They all kind of, the houses are all kind of look the same. It's, same, the, it's, the, it's, clean. It's, it's like the opposite, but it's the same in these inner cities. It, it's like they, it's cookie cutter. It's like, they just took it. It's kind of like, they go ahead. No, I was just saying they just like they just took a stamp. It's like liquor store, uh, McDonald's, you know, uh, abandoned building. It they just kind of it's like it's like they just dropped off the same look. Yeah, it's just, it's super weird because it's like it's to me it's like if you go to these different neighborhoods which we both have lived in, you know, it's like it's like it's like the weather's different. It's like it it always looks sunny and it's like the the suburban areas, yeah, which is all nice, and then you get into the the black ghetto areas, like it seems like it's cloudy, or it's like your mood changes when you get to each each side. It's it, it's it's super weird. Well, that's what it is. It's the the mood of the area. Yeah, affects the environment. Yeah, you know when you got people desperate, when you, you can feel desperation and, and 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 economic anxiety and and anger. And, yeah. and and frustration with your job. You can feel that in people. You can feel that when you go to a, you know, a fast food place and you just feel like everybody in here is about to blow. Like it yeah. if somebody's food is late, nobody should be getting yelled at and called a bitch over a two dollar sandwich, you know? But it's bigger than that. It's, it has nothing yeah. to do with the sandwich. Like my problems were overflowing before I walked in here and now this little thing has taken me to another point. Right. Yeah. And then you add on top of that a police force in many uh, situations across this country that their job is to get arrests or get violations and give people tickets. And it's like I have negative money in my bank account right now. And you are you're just looking for you just gave me a jaywalking ticket. Like, come on. And then there's now you've blown up on this police officer and now you're in jail. Hopefully. Yeah. Now hopefully that's as bad as it gets, but now you've had this altercation with a police officer who came to that neighborhood specifically because if they don't get a, their quota for the week, they get in trouble. So where do we go? We got to go to the neighborhood where we know black people are going to, you know, do be doing something. They're going to have something on them. We it's like old faithful. You know, and now you're in the system over a $150 jaywalking ticket that you don't have. So you don't have enough money to make bond. And now you're fucking just, you have to, you have to sit in, in jail until you see a judge yeah. and they're going to give you some kind of fine that you can't pay. And this is the cycle that people live with every single day, you know? And then some little girl goes into a store and to get a juice, whether or not whatever happened. And then the person in the store who's also in their own way, uh, being a burden on that community as well, because it's just yeah. contentious and they can't find a way to get along and whether people come in there and steal or whatever, it's like every person's guilty now because of whatever. And a girl gets shot in the back of the head and now the whole block burns down. Yeah. But it's like, it's, it's like, um, not saying that 
it's okay to steal because it's not okay to steal. But what do you expect? You 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 drop your business in the middle of these neighborhoods where people are struggling. Yes. And then, that's the trade-off you make. It's, it's like, like you, you, right, you, exactly. you you have a liquor store or a corner store. You, you, you have a store that you can't put in a nice neighborhood because you sell low-end goods. You know, you are a discount retail store slash, slash liquor store, so you can't put your business in a nice neighborhood. No nice neighborhood wants your, you know, little Debbie snack store or whatever. So you have to put it in the neighborhood where people – will frequent this because this is the price range for the stuff that they buy and they need these things. You know, this is a store that people, they need, they need to get cigarettes and play their lottery and get them a drink at the end of the day. And the trade-off is it's, it's a very low income neighborhood. And so the crime is higher, but you can't go, Oh, well we had five people steal this week. They were all black. So whenever a black person comes in here, we're going to treat them like they're a thief. Because that's your clientele too. There has to be a line of respect with <clears throat> within you trying to protect your store as well. Because your clientele is ninety percent black, so you can't just treat everybody that walks in that's black like a criminal. Yeah, and just like you said, like when you you got, you got all this burden on you, and then it's a burden of all the shit you got to deal with, and then you walk into the store, and then you see the owner is constantly looking at you, and you going, "This motherfucker think I'm stealing, yeah, because I'm black." And then that's what that's what pushes you to the edge, and you're like, or worse, you're the oh, person well. that they get it. Even if you're not that girl, they they accuse you of stealing. Even, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's like you know, I've you know, I got. But that's laid what off I mean. That's or, what I mean. Yeah, that's, that's, like, yeah. that's what I mean. Like you, you looking at me, you think I'm gonna steal something? I'm already having a bad day. I'm already dealing with a whole bunch of shit. And then somebody, just because the way you look physically on the outside, goes, oh, they think I'm, they think I'm gonna steal something. And that's when you get ticked off. And that's yeah. when stuff happens. That's when altercation happens. Yeah. And you don't know what it, it leads to from there. Yeah, man. It's a lot of but, you know, it's a lot of people in these neighborhoods walking around with PTSD and and and, and a lot of trauma. And yeah. the last thing that they need is to be uh approached hostily. Yeah. But it happens every day. Cause nobody takes that into consideration when they're dealing with, with people in these neighborhoods. It's like they are coming to them. They are all, they are being approached with fear and hostility when it's like, that's the last way you need to approach me. I am already wound up to the gills. Right. And so don't come at me wrong. And it happens every day. But um, rest in peace to, I'm say her name one last time, friend. Latasha Harlan. Rest in peace to Latasha Harlan's. Um, she sparked a hell of a movement out there in L.A., a lot of chaos, and, you know, a lot of people rode for that little girl. You know, they they burned that city down. I highly recommend L.A. 92 for people who saw what happened in uh, Minnesota with George Floyd or saw what's going on in St. Louis and what continues to happen in, you know, Chicago. There's a lot. The protests have not stopped. I know that, you know, um, if anything, they've become more organized and there's been less chaos, so you won't see them on the news as much, you know, because the, the message has become a little more succinct and the the purpose has become a little more clear. It's like just marching happening right now. But you, as yeah. we all know, early on, it was a lot of chaotic things happening. Um, they've discovered that apparently it's been confirmed. There's a video of a dude who was like had a gas mask on and umbrellas in Minneapolis that first day of those um, the lootings and things. That, that apparently was some kind of white supremacist who was breaking windows to incite violence. He was trying to rile people up to break things. 
Um, yeah. And we saw a lot of instances of that. We also saw a lot of instances of people just fucking up their own neighborhood. I'm not going to sit here and like make up like white people forced black people to do damaged properties or anything like that. But there was incidents of incidences of that happening. But I, I implore people to go watch LA 92 just to understand that this shit is not a new thing. You know, like, uh, um, George Floyd, the George Floyd riots aren't the first case of some shit like this going down because people have been on edge and then some crazy thing happens and it's just the catalyst for violence, you know? Yeah. Um, and LA 92 really captured the, the images and the pictures and the, the images that were captured in that week or however long that was of rioting in LA are very powerful and they're all in that documentary. I highly recommend LA 92 to people who, um, just want to see what the generations of riots have looked like in this country. Anyway, friend, um, that was a great story. Uh, let's go ahead and take a break. And when we come back, it's my turn to tell you guys some fucked up shit. So stick around. All right. And we are back friend. It is my turn to tell my story. So please prepare yourself. Uh, this week I am doing the story of Alfred J. Gaynor. And here we go. So from 1995 to 1997, the town of Springfield, Massachusetts was gripped in fear by a series of deaths of young women, many of which were ruled as overdoses. Over the next 15 years, however, one man would come to admit to killing nine of these women and allowing a child to die of dehydration. Alfred Gaynor, also known as Big Al by his friends and family, was in an intimidatingly large man known to have a peaceful demeanor. Most people were aware of his struggle with crack cocaine addiction, but what they didn't know was how violent his addiction made him. On April 25th, 1995, he knocked on the door of Vera Hallam's home and asked to sleep on her floor. What? He just asked if, hey, hey, can I crash on your floor, Vera? I'm guessing they had like a yeah. They they, they were acquaintances. Yeah, they they knew oh, okay. they they knew each other. It wasn't like oh he a random person. They knew each I'll other. What kind of yeah? They they, they had a they had a history. They knew each other. Um, right. I believe that they both knew each other through um, running, running in the same circles. They doing oh. drugs together. Those kind of yeah. Things, yeah. Um, she did not mind um, him sleeping over on the floor. But as she slept upstairs, something inside Alfred turned dark. He took a pot from her kitchen, went upstairs, and beat her unconscious so severely that it fractured her skull in multiple places. Mm. His plan was to then rape her before killing her. So he tied a phone cord around her neck and then down her back and tied her arms with it so that if she tried to, to, un, to move her arms, it would, it would tighten the cord around her neck. Eight. Almost like a like a cattle rest like he tied her up like a cattle. Yeah. Um uh so eventually she started to wake up from being unconscious and before it's, Al it's, I'm sorry, but it's weird how like these crazy motherfuckers have have these weird little fucking skills they have. Yeah, man. I, like, oh, it, I can it, I can fucking tie a neck around your neck. A tie around your neck and then put it in your feet. But if you move your arms or something, it tightens around your neck. I'm like, how do you even know how to do that? 
Well, Where did you learn that at? I think that because this is like many of the cases of, of black serial killers that we've done where it's just a game of volume for him, honestly. It's because it's so much drug addiction and... So you and, mean what they learned on, they learned as... I, they just learned by doing. They yeah, just learned, I mean, they just learned by doing. Great. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm honestly, like that's, honestly... That's, that's a super difficult not to, to do this, the way it sounds. But if you have all the time in the world to figure out the best way to tie somebody up because nobody's coming you learn some shit man i mean that's just it just that's what it seems to be i mean when you talk about lonnie frank lonnie franklin and and and, and lorenzo gilio you're talking about people that have killed dozens of people yeah and who who had all the time in the world you know, nobody was looking for you know you know uh crack addicted sex workers Mm-hmm. So they had all the time to perfect the way they strangle and or the, <clears throat> the way they stab or what they had all the time in the world to figure out where to stab and all of these things. It's really crazy what was left in the wake of the crack epidemic. I mean, neighborhoods yeah. just just left uh, abandoned. There's not, but like there's people there, but we just don't care about those people. We just don't. The police come and they're like oh yeah this was a they overdosed or just the hazard of being a prostitute in a bad neighborhood that's just how it goes so we don't know who who killed this person oh well move on and so what does that tell the killer of these people it's like oh bet i'm back out next i'm back out next tomorrow like back on the street i'm gonna have sex with this woman and then kill her so i don't have to pay her you know it's the same story over and over again in these cases it really is um yeah pretty fascinating anyway so vera started to uh, um awake even though she's like her skull is fractured and she awoke before he was able to rape her so he gave up on that and just went ahead and strangled vera and stole a ring before fleeing and this on it say it again to pawn it exactly to to support his crack addiction this murder will go unsolved for the next 15 years. Wow. His next murder wasn't until over a year, a year later in early July of 1996. Alfred went to the apartment of Amy Smith, who was the girlfriend of his nephew, Paul Fickling. Fickling admits that his uncle's arrival at the apartment caused some kind of argument between he and Amy. He also admits to having left the house while Gaynor raped and strangled Amy Smith. Mm. It later came out. Say it again. So why would he leave him there? Oh, I'm about to to tell you right now. Okay. It later came out in trial that Gaynor intimidated Fickling since he was a young child. And he feared Gaynor would kill him. And that's why he did not, he did nothing to stop him from raping Mm. and killing his girlfriend. Nobody's ever, yeah, that's what I'm, nobody's ever scared me that bad. That's, <laughs> that's crazy to say, you know, I mean, even Craig had a limit in Friday. It's like, everybody was scared of Debo. It's not, I'm not going to let you kill my girlfriend. Yeah. You know, it's one thing. It's like, oh man, I'm not going to fight you over, you know, I got, I don't, I got $5 in my pocket. Just take it. I'd rather give you $5 than fight you, but no, you're not going to murder my girlfriend and, and I'm just going to leave. You know, yeah. it's just, that's, that's crazy to me. But that, is, I mean, if nobody's seen a picture of this guy, I'm sure you will put it up. Um, he's a big guy. He's, he's, a, he's a big this guy. This is a big dude. He's not no small dude. No. Oh, he would have had a, a he would have had a tough go 
But yeah, you gotta sure. you gotta have the tough you gotta have the tough go, man. It's your girlfriend. Yeah. Just have the tough yeah. go and let him beat you up. Maybe that's why he was like, "Hey, this is that's just my girlfriend, man." I'm like, "You can go ahead." That's what I'm saying. I mean, he left. He left her alone yeah. with this man because he's scared of him. I'm like, "Man, come on, man, get out of my apartment." That's crazy to me that to even that that's even like, uh, "All right, man, I'm gonna go ahead and go for a walk." Like, what? Yeah, he's like, "I'm." He's like, "This guy can break me in half." Uh, what's the point? So what's I'm the point of me trying to fight alone with a woman? Yeah, that I, I I would hope I thought I would think you cared about. I, you couldn't have, couldn't have cared about her. That's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. well, that's all she is, is my girlfriend, or whatever. I'm, I, I'm, I'm scared of this dude. He would ball me up into a uh, like a paper ball. I'm out of here. I guess. Anyway, uh, on July 11th, 1996, Amy's nude body was found stuffed in a closet. Yeah, she had been. Stri- that dude is a sucker, by the way, too. I'm sorry. Oh, majorly, ma- majorly. <laughs> man. This is like the craziest. Um, this is some crazy players club shit. Like you come over to somebody's apartment and then the dude's like, all right, man, I'm gonna step out. And then you what? Go in the bedroom and like crack your knuckles and rape a girl. That's crazy. Like that's mad gross and super suckerish. Like it's like, yeah, it's that's so that's such a violation, but it it's not, it gets worse. Um, so, uh, like I said, she was strangled with large bare hands and a sock was stuffed in her mouth and on her mattress that was on the, that laid on the floor, laid her 22 month old daughter who died, who died from dehydration and starvation, having been left unattended. So this dude, for how long, I don't know how long, but long enough for her to pass away. That is fucking wild. So what happened is this dude Gaynor comes over. And intimidates, according to uh, Fickling, intimidated Fickling to leave him alone in the apartment. And then he just never came back to the apartment and left that little girl in the, and just, just didn't go back to see what happened with Amy. At all. Or the baby. Nothing. He just left. He, when he left, he left and never came back. Nobody heard this baby crying? I guess not. Nothing? Man, I don't, I, this is very weird. I don't, maybe people minding their, Business, I guess. I don't know. But yeah. That is crazy. Very crazy. When, very much so. When when I'm with Max and Steph, when she leaves out of the room for like to use the bathroom or something, he goes crazy. I mean like nonstop he he would just cry. He'd just ball his eyes out. Well crying. you know the neighbors here. Well you know the neighbors no are question. here. I can't even yeah, I can't even imagine but not even that I can't even imagine a baby crying for hours. Days. Hours or days looking for some type of looking for their mom or something like yeah. food hunger. Like that is, that's crazy, man. And that dude, I ain't going to say what I feel like, how I want to say it for that dude, man. But that is, that's wild, man. Yeah, man. That I, is crazy. I think that obviously Albert Gaynor is a fucking despicable, disgusting person, but this dude Fickling is a grade A sucker. Like didn't even come back. Didn't even come back to check Jeez, on anybody. Christ. You know, that's in, you know, so that's absolutely foul. Uh, both Gaynor wow. and Fickling knew the child was there and she was assumed to be Fickling's biological daughter. Uh, years, uh-huh. years later during a trial, a paternity test was ordered and it, he was proven, however, to not be the father. Not that that makes it any better. Still, but yeah. she, she, you know, she doesn't have any of that sucker DNA within her. You know, so for sure that kid, that dude shouldn't have any kid. I hope he doesn't have any kids, you know, because that's. How could you do that thinking it was your kid even? 
You know, that's crazy to me. Uh, Fickling was eventually convicted of second-degree murder in both deaths in November, in, on November 17th of 1998. Fickling? J- yes. Because, yo, check this shit out. Hold on, wait a second. <laughs> he, he sat in prison with that charge for a decade until after Gaynor's confession in 2008 to being a part of that. Fick, and then so Ficklin was granted a new trial and given the lesser sentence of manslaughter. So he was so scared of of Albert Maynard that he that of Albert Gaynor that he sat in prison on second degree murder charges because he was he didn't want to snitch on this uh, man. We need to know what Gaynor was doing to this guy as kid. Oh, it, it must have been because I can't even. Yeah, it must have been crazy. I, I mean, I. I don't know how you sit in prison on not that I mean manslaughter's a a better charge I guess but you took it like you did it you, second degree murder I mean you sat in prison for 10 years you'd rather deal with the judicial system and being a murderer than snitch on this yeah. man He but, living in that man's head Yeah big time oh big Rent time free. Yeah big time big time <laughs> Um, wow, man. So another year would pass before Albert's murderous streak reared its ugly head once again. In late May of 1997, Gaynor was walking home from work on a late night when a pickup truck with a man and a woman inside stopped and asked if he had any crack. Albert said that he had none, but he knew where to get it. So the young woman named Jill Ann Ermolini left the pickup truck and joined Gaynor as he took her on a search for crack. He convinced Ermolini that he had found some crack in his pocket and offered what? and offered to share it with her. So he was like, oh, man, what a dink! <laughs> I happened to be reaching in my pocket, found some rocks. Um, so after finding an abandoned car in an alley, they climbed in to smoke. Jill quickly realized that there was in fact no crack cocaine to smoke and demanded to be let out of the vehicle. Gaynor used his large body to overpower Jill and choke her until she passed out. Mm. He then stripped off her clothes and raped her in the abandoned vehicle. Um, After he was finished, he strangled Jill to death and left her body in the abandoned vehicle. When her body was discovered the next month in June of 97. The next month? Yeah, man, it was... This was, you know, in a rough neighborhood, in an alley, in an abandoned car, and I guess nobody looked in the car for a month. What you say the next day? Yeah, no, the next, uh, the next month. But as in, like, let's say it was the fifteenth, and now it's the eighth. You know, like still, absolutely still, but (laughs) absolutely, yeah, absolutely still. But I mean, um. This is what happens, man. I mean, you, you talk about these rough neighborhoods. I mean, we've done plenty of stories of these stories, you know, in Detroit and all these places where you just leave a body in an abandoned building and it's just there for six months. In the car, though? Oh, I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah. It, and it's June. So, it, mm. yeah, it was. I mean, I'm sure that had something to do with the body being discovered, the smell yeah. or the bloating. And you look, somebody looked and saw something crazy in the car. Um, but anyway, uh, she she had decomposed pretty severely. Uh, the coroner mm. found traces of cocaine in her system and ruled her death to be an overdose. The family what? was always skeptical, but we, we discussed this on a podcast that we recorded with some people recently. And we were talking about how, um, 
how this happens in these neighborhoods as far as, you know, the police show up and, you know, these women who are sex workers or whatever, you know, they if they're um, if they if they decomposed, you've lost any kind of, you know, um, evidence of strangulation or maybe even bullet wounds are hard to even see. So they just show up and they go, oh, this is a sex worker. Look at the environment that we found them in. It's most likely an overdose. You know how this just ha- it happens all the time. Um, but then her family remained skeptical of this ruling. And years later, they were vindicated when Albert confessed to this murder as well. Mm. Um, Albert's bloodthirst picked up steam when his next victim was attacked just five months later in October of 1997. Robin Arkins was found on the 25th of October. Uh, the story seemed to go similarly, similarly to how it had gone the times before. Gaynor lured Robin into an alley with promises of crack cocaine. Once his lie was discovered, he overpowered her, bound her hands and her uh, bound her hands with her shoelaces, and gagged her mouth with a sock. After he raped her, he strangled her barehanded, and her half-nude body was discovered in the alley, and she had abrasions on her face and legs. Oh. <laughs> she had abrasions on her face and legs and in her throat was a wad of paper that had been forced down it. What? Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm guessing he, that was part of the gag for him. Uh, just days later on November 1st, the body of Joanne Thomas was found in her home. She had also been raped and strangled. Like in all his murders, uh, Gaynor stole some valuables to support his crack habit. Yeah. Within two weeks, he struck again. This time, his target was his was a friend he had known for years. Mm. On the morning of November 15, 1997, the 11-year-old son of Yvette Torres found his mother lying dead on the bathroom floor. Um, and aside from a couple of bruises to her chin and to her um, eye, the death did not look suspicious. The medical examiner found a potentially lethal dose of cocaine in her system, but ruled her, ruled her death undetermined. Gaynor would later confess to raping and murdering her in the bathroom and stealing her son's video games, which he later pawned for more drugs. Uh, Unde- I, I, undetermined? How, how do you not control the way somebody died? I, don't, I, just, I can I, never understand that. I don't know if he didn't want to rule it an overdose from the cocaine because she was bruised, but there wasn't enough evidence of bruising to say that she was murdered so i don't know this might have been a limbo type of because they had no suspect they just were saying she's on the floor but again i mean the kid's game is stolen i don't know that's a that's a that's a tough one um i think that it it looked too suspicious for them to say it was an overdose but they also mm-hmm. didn't have a a a, 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 a suspect so they yeah. just were like we're, we don't know right now Um, Gaynor would take the holiday season as a bit of a hiatus, not killing again until February. This, this will be his final and most violent month of murder. He would take the lives of three women and attempt to kill a fourth. The body of Loretta Daniels was found on February 2nd, 1998 in an alley on the 11th. Rosemary Downs was found in her home dead. His last victim, Joyce Dickerson P was found dead outside a restaurant on February 19th. All women were gagged and then raped. And all three of the women were strangled to death afterwards. He did he did all of his bare hands. Yeah, man. I mean, but again, that's what I mean. Like he, 
he kind of just formed a strategy as he went along and he got his yeah. numbers got to such a point that he that just was his mo it's like i you know i offer him crack i strangle him till they pass out i rape him and then i strangle him all the way you know and he had plenty of time to do these things he he they, he went uninterrupted uh <clears throat> police formed a task force to identify potential suspects and got a big break the day after the death of Joyce Dickerson. Gaynor had been identified as the last person seen with Dickerson, and police began to track his movements. Soon after, police brought him in for questioning and requested a DNA sample, which later conclusively linked him as the killer of Daniels, Dickerson, Downs, and Thomas. Gaynor was sentenced to four life sentences with no chance of parole. After his sentence was read, he told the court that he was innocent and had been framed. What? Yeah, of course. That's, you know, (laughs) what would you expect him to do? His name would not come up again until 2005 when he was trying to sell pictures he had drawn for profit. Mm. Though the the women of, of no, just pictures, (laughs) just pictures. He had some, he had some, um, some photos of him in street clothes. And he wanted to make a website and sell them. And it would cause a lot of public outrage, but eventually they allowed him to go forward and sell his art. And, uh, but he signed them or something? Yeah, autograph. he was autographing stuff, you know, all that, you know. So, and the people were mad, but they, they had to eventually they let him go ahead and do that. I don't know how, if he made a bunch of money. I'm sure he didn't, but that's, that's what that was the last time he made, that was the next time he made news while being in jail. Mm-hmm. In 2008, he dropped a bombshell on Massachusetts. After doing some soul searching, he decided to come clean and tell the world about just the type of monster that he was and that he was capable of killing nine women and letting one child starve to death. Uh, His reasoning was that he did not want his mother to know the depths of his evil, so he waited until she died in 2006. Wow. At his new trial, he said... I know this is hard to understand, but I truly am a good person. This statement caused much grief and anger within the courtroom amongst the victim's families. However, the silver lining is that this idea in his head is the catalyst that caused him to make the confessions that he made. So because he felt like he was a good person, he decided to make the confession and give these families closure about what happened to their family members. Right. Mm -hmm. So you got to take it for what it is. Uh, Albert was already serving four life terms. So the judge tacked on a few more, uh, and sent him back to his cell. So there was really no change in anything other than, you know, people getting justice for their family members, but it didn't change anything. He was already in jail for the rest of his life. So he added on some more life sentences and he went back to his cell and, you know, that was the end of that. And, uh, that was the story of Albert J. Gaynor, also known as Big Al, a huge despicable piece of shit. Um, yeah, yeah. Fuck that guy. Um, a special, particularly fuck, uh, fuck, you, fuck you to his nephew. Um, yeah, for sure. Uh, let me go ahead and just get his full name. It's Fickling. It f- Finkling. Yeah, it's Fickling, but his first name. Paul. Yeah, Paul Fickling. Fuck you very much. You are a coward and a sorry excuse for a man and a human being. And go fuck yourself, Paul Fickling. 
Um, yeah, and and that dude, big Al, that dude's the size of like a, of a deep freezer. That's a big dude. Yeah, he's a big dude, but you gotta have a you gotta have a moment where you step up. You gotta have a, little bit gotta of have a you gotta have a line, man. Like I understand not wanting conflict and. Sometimes you just, it's not worth fighting, but it's definitely things that are worth stepping up and saying no to whoever you fear or whatever. And, and raping a woman and murdering a woman is absolutely the time to go. No, I know we were kids at a point and everything, but you got to get out of here. I want to know what he did, man. For you, to, for you to let a dude just come in and bully you and just kill your girlfriend and you take the charge, that's... He That's went. He went to jail. A, a a child killer for ten years. He wore that, as opposed to dealing with Albert, uh, 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 Albert uh, Gainer. As opposed to yeah. dealing with Albert Gainer, he wore being a child killer on his vest. I there had to be people more dangerous and scary than this dude in prison. It had to be. But I guess the the the. The psychology that he put on this dude was like, look, even if I get my ass whooped in here, nobody can whoop my ass like I, like Big Al whoops my ass. So yeah, yeah, had, had, that had to be it. Um, Madness, man. But um, rest in peace to all those beautiful women, and and that baby, that poor baby, and, man. That, and that and that poor little baby. Um, it's crazy. Again, you know, we touched on it, but we talk about so many um black serial killers who are just killers using the opportunity that was given to them by the crack epidemic. I mean, you know, you talk about people swimming in their addictions and being lured by people with promises of drugs and all these things and, you know, being falling into the lifestyle of sex work and being raped and murdered and all these types of things. And Mm -hmm. it's such a common occurrence, man. Like it's so, you know, um, serial killers, they get this rap when you watch all these TV shows and stuff about being cunning and all these things. But, you know, when you go to these poor, um, underserved black communities, you just start to, when you read these stories, you start to see, like, it's none of that. It just is nobody's looking for these people. And there are a ton of uh, other people who are also addicts who are doing drugs, losing their fucking mind, and you know, having sex with these women who are, you know, you know, addicted to drugs, offering them drugs. And then when they don't have the drugs or they don't want to pay them, they kill them. Yeah. And it's just like a Tuesday to them. And they'll go right back out on the weekend and do the shit again. It's like, oh, I want to have sex this tonight and I don't want to spend any money. So if you just kill the sex worker after you, you have sex with them, then you don't got to pay him any money. And these are people who are getting their numbers are getting into the tens and the teens. I mean, they're killing a dozen women, but not, not in some kind of clever way. It's just the streets are littered with women who are going through addiction issues and in the lifestyle of sex work and have nobody looking out for them. That's the most common story, man. more often than me coming across the story of like a black Ted Bundy or a, a black, Jeffrey Dahmer, some dude who like eats people in some kind of crazy psychological way. Nine times out of 10, when I'm looking up these stories of these black serial killers, it is a dude who is killing sex workers. 
Yeah. And crack. And a black dude. And crack. A is black dude's already. A black dude's already looking suspicious that they tried to be like Ted Bundy. Yeah, I don't. You know. They, you know. He yeah, hey, already man. got people on high alert. Like, wait, what is this dude? What is he doing? Here? Yeah. <laughs> my, can you help me find my dog? You know, these are already. But that's crazy to me that because we've done some stories of people, black serial killers who might have a MO like that. Some it's very, it's not very common, but it happens. But more often than not, it's just some dude that's like having sex with sex workers and then doesn't want to pay them or whatever. And then it just kills them. You know, mm-hmm. that being the common MO tells me is something, it's something deeper than like just, uh, being a killer going on. It's like, it's all these, so many women that aren't being cared for. And the concern I have is, you know, the, the, the new crack is this whole opioid epidemic. And in these Midwest communities, you got all these, you know, kids overdosing and disappearing. I think that within those numbers, we're going to, there's a lot of cases of murder and, 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 and things like that, that are just written off as overdose or whatever because it's just a part of the lifestyle. So I'd be interested to see um, those look to take a look at those numbers within these Midwest communities and in these suburban communities that are now being affected, being affected by these high drug overdoses and these, um, this whole change in community with, you know, just the streets being littered with people who are now finding themselves being sex workers at 20 years old, you know, who were like just in high school and were prom Queens. And now they, are selling their body to, to support their habit. And yeah. how many of those stories that were written off as overdoses might not be overdoses, you know, just because uh, drugs and crime and the crimes and sex work crimes like that, they can bring about people who will kill a, a woman, you know? So that's interesting. That, I'd be interested to take a look at those numbers. Anyway, that was my story. That was the story of Alfred J. Gaynor. I've been, I've been rambling what we're going to do is go ahead and jump into these good vibes. Yes, that's right, folks. It's time for these good vibes. So sit back, take a deep breath in and prepare to have your life flooded with positivity. Um, my good vibe story this week is about a Texas couple that's been married for 46 years. They beat COVID cancer. They beat a COVID cancer chemo crisis and returned mm. home with a clean bill of health. Wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. One couple's love and commitment through impossible to imagine circumstances gives a whole new meaning to the phrase to have and to hold in sickness and in health. On top of being diagnosed with ovarian and breast cancer, Janice Beecham and her husband of 46 years had to battle through COVID-19 quarantine, but they came out together side. They came out together on the other side this week on March 25th with Janice with, with Janice and Robert strictly following all public health guidelines on COVID-19 because of Janice's cancer. Robert, Robert called his son, and decided to go to the doctor to take a COVID-19 test at his son's urging as he had not been feeling well in the preceding week. He was admitted to the Parkland Hospital in Dallas, received his positive test, 
but recovered shortly after. Despite having already suffered two strokes this decade, one of the strokes had oh. kept him from celebrating an anniversary with his wife, and he didn't want it to happen a second time. Uh, Robert's doctor would eventually concoct a plan to get to get the devoted husband out of the hospital and home to visit his wife, a plan he thought would keep him on the right road to recovery because his love for Janice was obviously a healing force in his life. Arriving home for their wedding anniversary, Robert Beecham discovered that Janice, who had undergone invasive surgery for breast cancer only a month before, had already tested positive for both COVID-19. Wow. Uh, further complicating things, her breast cancer returned and Janice could not start chemotherapy as a treatment for any cancer until her COVID-19 uh, convalescence was finished, which might allow time for the cancer to further spread. Jesus, man. This is a lot of compounding fucking drama, man. Yeah, that's one of the situations where you go, I, I can't, I can't win. Like what the, like what the fuck? Yeah, it's like her, so her breast cancer came back, but she can't get breast cancer treatment until she's done going through COVID nineteen. COVID, yeah. I mean, come on. Uh, Robert said, once I got home and we did the quarantine, I was getting progressively better, but Janice had issues with her health. But they are best friends who helped each other through it. Thanking God as only as as one can only do in, in such situation, the high school sweethearts have finished quarantines, surgeries, and chemo, and are now, mm. now COVID-19 and cancer-free. Wow. CNN reported that Janice still has preventative radiation coming up, but the two said they are blessed to be alive and blessed to, be, to celebrate another year together. Uh, so shout out to Janice and, 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 and shout out to Mr. Meacham. Um, they are 46 years is a long fucking time, man. And the two of them riding together and getting through all of this is a beautiful story to hear at a time like this, but geez, that's a lot of stuff to go, to go. Yeah. Through, man. But Robert was right there. He made sure he's like, I had a stroke, but I'm not gonna let my wife go through all this shit by herself. So yeah. shout, out, shout out to the two of them. That was my good vibe story. Shout out to Janice and shout out to Robert, man. That was a beautiful story. Yeah, my good vibe this week, uh, kind of different. This is usually we do good vibes about people, but this one, um, more about the world and, and the animals that live on this planet. Okay. Um, so, uh, rhino poaching in South Africa has decreased by almost 50, 53% in the first six months of 2020, which continued a dramatic downward trend over the last five years. After a decade of implementing various strategies, efforts, efforts are paying off said the Minister of Environment, Forestry and Fisheries. Ms. Barbara Creasy, this week, we've been able to arrest the escalation of rhino losses. The minister said that the, na the nationwide COVID-19 associated law enforcement measures to restrict movement has powered the ongoing decline in the rhino poaching compared to the same period last year, calling it striking. An astonishing re reprieve was celebrated in the, the Kruger National Park, where during April, no rhinos were killed in the intensive protection zone for the first time in almost 10 years. Wow. Between January and June 38, between January and June, 38 suspected rhino poachers have been arrested in the KMP, which is the Kruger National Park, 
and 23 firearms confiscated, while 57 suspects have been arrested um, has been arrested during the a joint, I guess, some type of operation mm-hmm. um, to track down these people and the guns outside of the KMP. So it's crazy how good and bad COVID-19 has affected people, the human beings, the, the planet, yeah. the animals. It's, it's, it's pretty wild. It's protecting nature from the horrible human beings being out and doing shit. Man. Right. They kill yeah. those horn. They kill those, those rhinos because they think their horn powder makes is like makes you virile, like it gives you boners. Yeah. You know, like they like it's such a stupid reason to kill an animal, but yeah. it, it it happens all the time. You know, it's like a yeah. delicacy. Yeah. So, but with that, um, it extended five years of success in South Africa with this with these rhinos, which is. Which is, is is crazy. I I think that's good that um they're not just out there. They really just out there killing them for their horns and then that's it. And they just <laughs> they, and then they die and, and then they, they just die. Dying. Yeah. Right. 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 And just and, and killing them off. Um. So in February, the ministry reported um the minister the ministry reported twenty three percent decline in the number of rhinos lost to poaching in twenty nineteen, as well as forty three percent in Forty-three percent decline in elephant pooching. A decline in pooching for five years consecutive for five consecutive years is a reflection of the diligent work of the men and women who put their lives on the line daily to combat rhino pooching, often coming into direct contact with ruthless poochers," said the minister last year. So, shout out to these people um, that are fighting for the lives of these animals who can't do it by themselves, who can't do it on their own. I mean, say. absolutely. Um, but um, I'll be scared to confront those people that's doing this because, uh, I mean, you don't they, know what they—they they, they, they came they, out they there to take kill down thousands of pound animals, yeah. <laughs> right? So it's like you don't know what they, they came. They came ready for a fight, regardless <laughs> of if it's with you or the, uh, an animal. So uh, a fucking yeah. rhino and an uh, elephant who is twenty times stronger than a human being yeah. is. So you gotta uh, you gotta be so ready to you gotta be ready to dig it out if you planning on going up against some people that came out there to kill an elephant. So shout out to them for sure, man. Like respect. Yeah. Cause somebody's got to go out there and protect these animals, man. Yeah. Uh, so again, uh, just with the whole COVID-19 pandemic and them stepping up to the plate and trying to save these animals, um, it's helping them be able to have their lifespan a little longer and not fucking having them on a decline every couple of years. But the COVID nineteen is has a has an impact, good and bad, on the world completely, and it's yeah. it's it's crazy times we're living in right now. It's crazy. Majorly, man. I mean, we are living in the history books. You know, like there's been a couple of times. You know, we're in our late twenties, so we lived through nine eleven. Like, we, there's been a couple of times in our lifespan that we're like, oh, this is history. Yeah. You know. But this is 2020 is absolutely going in the record books as one of the craziest years of the century yeah. of, of the last couple hundred years, man. This has been a wild time. Um, I hope that we never forget it and just use the yeah. lessons, whatever lessons can be learned from this. Um, I hope we, I hope they stick because it's really easy for history to repeat itself. Obviously, 
a major factor of 2020 is something that, you know, we, we can't control, but, um, just a lot of social things have also happened in 2020 that we can learn from and try to not let happen again. And just, uh, I'll say it again, as we, as we take off, um, wear a mask, be safe and, um, just protect each other, man. I've been Alvin Williams, joined as always by my partner and true crime friend, So Evans. And we'll see you guys next week in person. Deuces. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park